The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transformed their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Do go-givers really sell more? That's the question that Bob Berg, our guest today, is going to be answering for us. But first, let me tell you just a little bit about Bob. He shares information on topics that are critical to business success, and he doesn't just speak to small groups. He speaks internationally for corporations and associations and delivers his message of success to audiences that range in size anywhere from 50 to 16,000. He shared the platform with notables that include today's top thought leaders, broadcast personalities, Olympic athletes, and political leaders including a former United States president. Now, for years, he was best known for his book, Endless Referrals, but over the past few years, it's his business parable, The Go-Giver, which we're going to be talking about today, that has captured the imagination of his readers. It shot to number six on the Wall Street Journal business bestsellers list just three weeks after its release, and it reached number nine on Business Week. It's been translated into 21 languages, and it's his fourth book to sell more than 250,000 copies. Welcome to the show today, Bob. Hey, it is so great to be with you, Kelly. I always enjoy speaking with you. Likewise, and I, I want uh, to make sure that we first just get out there. The title of this book, The Go-Giver, that seems to contradict traditional wisdom, giving, go-giver. Uh, did you do that on purpose? I mean, how does that fit in with the basic premise of your book? Well, yeah, you know, I think any title, you know, people say, well, you, you don't, not, we don't judge a book by its cover or by its title. Well, sure we do. <laughs> so it's always good to have a title that will attract people and that will mm -hmm. cause uh, what I like to call it. In, in marketing, it's called a pattern interrupt. Uh, it makes someone yes. stop and think. So they see something like the go-giver, and as you said, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a little counterintuitive just in the title. So, And, of course, mm -hmm. it needs to be in alignment with the message, which it is. And the go-giver is a very short story. It's, you know, about a guy named Joe, a young and Ambitious, aggressive, and up-and-coming young business guy. Great guy, but really kind of focused on himself. And and as as ambitious as he is, he just kind of finds himself going nowhere fast. And and then he learns a a very valuable lesson from a mentor, which the sent the story centers around, which is the premise of the story, as, as you alluded to, and that is that shifting one's focus from from getting to giving. Now, in this case, when we say giving, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others. That right. not only is it a you know, nice way to live life, but it's a very financially profitable way as well. And when when business owners, when salespeople, when pe when they when they conduct their business and they conduct their life that way with a focus on providing value to other people, that's when their business really, really accelerates. And as you say, you use a parable to tell this story of Joe, who's an ambitious man. He's 
uh, you know, the counterintuitive part, he is a go-getter. Uh, he'd probably fit everybody's definition of being a go-getter, but yet he's not really going anywhere until he gets uh, this piece of advice from a mentor. So I mean, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners out there are thinking, I always thought being a go-getter was the way to go. You know, your coaches tell you this, your teachers tell you this, your parents encourage you to be a go-getter. So are, are you saying that that's really not the way to go, um, that we shouldn't be go-getters? No, actually, we we love go getters because go getters um, get things done. <laughs> like you said, they take action, and you know, you're a business person, and you've been very, very successful. And I know many of your listeners are as well. And and we all know that you can have the best thoughts in the world, the best ideas, the best intentions, but unless action is put into the mix, absolutely nothing is going to happen. It can't happen. So, no, go uh, go getters are, are great. Now, the neat thing is there's no uh, there's no natural division between a go getter and a go giver. Many go getters are also go givers, and all and all go givers, okay, all go givers are also go getters. So, the opposite of a go giver isn't a go getter. The opposite huh? of a go giver is a go taker. Ah. That's that person who right who who sort of feels almost entitled, if you will, to take, take, take mm-hmm. without having added value to the person, to the process, to the situation. And you know, so often we all know people like that, I think, and they yes. can be good people. Um, but they tend to be very frustrated by the fact that they rarely achieve the kind of success they feel they deserve. And even those times when they do, and some do, uh, it tends to not last very long, and yet they think everyone else is is naive. Now, uh, when we say and when we use the term go-giver, we're really just talking about that man or woman who has learned that or has always intuitively known, a lot of people have always known, that it, it it's that person who can take their focus off themselves. They can, and what we like to say is they can move from an I focus to an other focus. Mm-hmm. And the person who does that constantly and consistently looking to provide value to those in the marketplace, these are the people who accomplish the most. Right. Well, and that's interesting for you to say it because I bet some of our listeners are sitting here going, oh, the old saying, nice guys, nice gals, finish last. But uh, it, from what you're saying, it's, it's kind of like what goes around comes around. If you're if you're putting out good, it comes back to reward you in multiples as opposed to the taker who, as you said, often ends up frustrated. Yeah, well, you know, it's still more than just being nice. And and, and John, my great co-author, John David Mann, who who was the lead storyteller, he's a magnificent writer. I'm more of a how-to uh, kind of guy. But, you know, we're, we're often asked, is that really what the story is about, that nice guys, nice gals, nice people finish first? And and the answer is no, that, that's not what it's about. Now, don't get me wrong, being nice is, is a, a good way to be. And when we say nice, we're talking genuinely kind, great yeah. way to be. It's also, by the way, being nice is very helpful because people, People are obviously more attracted to those who are nice, and they they are more interested in being in business relationship with those who are nice. But nice in and of itself isn't going to make someone successful. Um, And I I think I can say that with confidence because, let's face it, you and I and everyone listening to this, we all know plenty of people who we would describe as being simply nice people who we would also have to describe as being simply broke people. That's true. (laughs) So while being nice is actually a helpful way to be successful, it is very helpful in the process. In and of itself, it's not enough. Success success is also a matter of doing the correct things 
in the success process that yes. allows a person to be successful and finish first, if you will. And, you know, right. the five laws John and I provide in the book are simply meant to share those those laws, those principles, that if someone will use them, all five of them together in conjunction, not one, two, three, or four of them, but all five, they must be successful. Right. And when when you're talking about nice, yes, it's helpful, and, and you do need to be nice, but mm-hmm. you have to also deliver value, as of you course. said yeah. earlier. But you, you're, it's you're not an about, either or. It's not, you know, yes. it's, it's both. You, you, right. you, you've got it. yeah. Absolutely. So you you talked about these laws. You have five laws of stratospheric success, and the law, the first law, number one, is the law of value. And we have been kind of talking around that a little bit so far. But why don't you tell us, you know, dive into it a little bit? What what is the law of value? Well, the law itself, the law of value, simply says your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. But hold on a moment, and that's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? That's kind of counterproductive sounding. I mean, how do you give more in value than you take in payment? Sounds like a one of those nicey-nice, new-agey thingies that wouldn't really work in the real right. world. So we simply have to understand the difference between price and value. Uh, price is a dollar amount. It's a dollar figure. It's finite. It simply is what it is. Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, this service, this concept, this opportunity, this idea that brings with it so much worth or value that someone will willingly exchange their money for it and feel absolutely terrific and great about it while you make a very healthy profit? And very quickly, we could use the um, example of an accountant you hire to do your taxes who charges you $1,000, which is his price, but in exchange, the value he provides is immensely more than that. He saves you $5,000 in your taxes. Right. He provides you with the security and peace of mind of knowing it was done correctly. We see that value can be both concrete and conceptual. So what he did is he gave you well over $5,000 in value in exchange for a $1,000 price. So you come away from it just feeling great, and he made a very, very healthy profit, which he should. And that's the kind of relationship we want to have with anyone with whom we do business. We want to give them such a, a tremendous buying experience that they feel awesome about it and we profit greatly and, you know and it all comes down again to focus you've got to focus on them it's they're not buying because you need to you know make the nut every month they're buying because they feel that you have something they really want and they're willing to exchange their money for it which is why we say that that money is simply an echo of value It's the thunder to values lightning, if you will, which means nothing more than that the value must come first. And the money is is nothing more. It's simply a direct and very natural result of the value you've provided. That's a great analogy, and when you talked about the um, the experience, that that's one of the things you talked about the taxes uh, saving the customer five thousand dollars. But sometimes too, the value is in the experience. You think about the Starbucks of the world and so forth, where they can uh, charge so much more for 
what most people consider to be a commodity, but it's yes. people see value because of the experience that they have whenever they do business with Starbucks or similar types of companies that operate on that principle of the offering the the full experience. So yeah, and uh, in the book, in the story, we use the example in the law of value about uh, Ernesto, the restaurateur, who who you know explains to Joe that a a bad restaurant will try to give just enough food service quality to justify the money they're taking. A good restaurant will try to give as much you know, value in terms of food and experience that they can. But a great restaurant goes out of their way to provide such an immense and amazing dining experience from excellence and consistency to attention to empathy to appreciate to everything that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a Disney experience. People not only want to come back, they want to tell everyone about it. And so, yeah, the, the Starbucks example is, is excellence. They're there not for the taste of the coffee. They're there for the experience itself. They get more in value than what they pay for the drink. And if they didn't, they wouldn't go. That's right. Now, you, as I said, we had you have five uh, laws, and I want to make sure we cover each one of them uh, to a certain degree. The second one is the law of compensation. Now, you were talking about price a few minutes ago, and that it's not just about the price; it's about the experience. So, what is it? What do you mean by the law of compensation? Is there a similar kind of relationship? Yeah, the law of compensation says your your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So where law number one says to give more in value than you take in payment, law number two tells us that the more people whose lives you touch with the exceptional value you provide, the more money with which you'll be rewarded. In other words, uh, Starbucks doesn't make a lot of money because they provide great value to one person. Right. So that you know, it's also a matter of impact. So exceptional value plus significant reach equals very high compensation. Which very nicely leads into the law of influence, which is your third law. Tell us about that one. Yeah, this says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Again, this one sounds counterproductive at best and perhaps downright Pollyanna-ish at worst. And yet, every great leader, every top salesperson, business person, this is how they run their lives and conduct their business. Now, just to to qualify, when we say place other people's interests first, we don't in any way mean to be a a doormat or a martyr or self-sacrificial in any way, not at all. It's simply that as Sam, one of the mentors in the story, tells Joe, all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And there's no more, there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you and others than by actually stepping outside yourself, focusing on them, temporarily suspending your self-interest, not foregoing your self-interest, but suspending it, and able to genuinely be able to focus on providing value to that other person. And you can do this in many, many uh, different ways. But the key is to the degree that you're focusing on, on making others successful, happy, what have you, that's the degree that your influence is going to spread. Absolutely. And you had said at the begin when we started through these laws that you can't just do one of them or three right. of them. You need to do all of them. Mm-hmm. And if you're speaking, it's very easy to see how all of these are related. And yes. uh, when you look at the fourth one, the law of authenticity, uh, I'm going to let you talk about it, but I, I have a feeling I know where this is going. Well, uh, Yeah, I mean, the law of authenticity simply says the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. Uh, In the story, Deborah Davenport, one of the mentors, uh, she, (laughs) she learned a very important lesson in her career. 
and that is that all the skills in the world, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they are, and, and they are very, very important, they're off or not if you don't come at it from your true, authentic core. You see, when you show up as yourself day after day, week after week, month after month, people feel good about you. They feel confident. Hey, they know, like, and trust you because they know right. you're showing up the same way as yourself. You're on not, the other hand, yeah, you're you not know, just when, playing some role. Yeah. Exactly. And on the other one, someone does play a role, hey, you know, people can tell. Maybe not at first, and there's some people who are really good at faking it, but in time it catches up. And it's those people who are authentic and genuine. At the same time, they're continually improving upon themselves. They're continually learning new skills. They're learn, you know, but they're 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 showing up from what I call your true, authentic core. That's how you operate. Sort of as Gandhi said, uh, that you know, when everything you think and everything you feel and everything you say and everything you do are in alignment. That's where right. authenticity sets in. Yes, and frankly, authenticity is is, be- is best because you don't have to remember all the different mm-hmm. things you told people because exactly. you're playing a role, and uh, it, it's easier on the person. It's easier yep. on each of us to be authentic. Absolutely. And the last, the last one is the law of receptivity. Talk to us about that. Uh, yeah, the law of receptivity says you're, uh, the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. Uh, late in the story, Pindar, the main mentor, asks Joe to breathe out and hold, his, hold that breath to the count of 30. Joe tries, but in very short time, he's you know, running out of air. He's gasping for breath. He's struggling. Pindar says, what's the matter, Joe? Can't you, you can't do it? And Joe says, no, I can't just breathe out. I've got to breathe in as well. And Pindar jokingly says, well, Joe, what if I was to tell you that it's been medically proven that it's actually healthier to breathe out than it is to breathe in? And Joe laughed. He said, that's silly. You can't do one of the, one or the other. You've got to do both. Well, of course, absolutely, you've got to do both. We breathe out, we breathe in. We breathe out carbon dioxide, we breathe in oxygen. We breathe out, which is giving, we breathe in, which is receiving. Giving and receiving are simply two sides of the very same coin, and they work in tandem. Absolutely. You know, to try to minimize one it just doesn't work. You know, the key is this. It's where the focus is. Focus on the giving of value, okay? Focus on the giving of value and allow the receiving of abundance. Very nicely said. I want to go back to something that you were talking about in law number four when you were talking about sales. You know, a lot of our listeners here today, they're business owners, they they have sales teams, they may be the sole business or they may be the sole salesperson, but a lot of them have invested quite a lot of time, money, um, effort into training programs for their salespeople, teaching sales skills. Are you saying that they're not that's not really important or uh is there a place again there's a lot of duality going on uh in what you say. Uh I explain that, reconcile that for us. Oh sure. No sales skill sales training is very effective, uh, very important, very effective. There's a lot of things that are effective and are important. But as you said, the duality is in that it's not a one or the other type of thing. Uh, in other words, is it important to have a great product to sell and believe in your product? Sure, and great salespeople have great products and believe in them, but so do average salespeople. Okay, so while it's important to have a great product and believe in it, that's not what makes a salesperson great. Uh, product knowledge, same thing. Great salespeople have great product knowledge, but so do a lot of average salespeople. Same with sales training. I mean, the best salespeople have made a study of sales. 
and so have a lot of average salespeople. So are they important? Absolutely. Do you need them? Sure. But they're just the entry fee into the game. Yeah, uh, I believe absolutely people should have a great product to sell. They should believe in that product. They should have great product knowledge and should be constantly practicing and perfecting their sales skills. All those are helpful. But what really, really separates the great, outstanding, over-the-top producing salespeople from the rest is their focus. They understand the truth of selling that when it comes right down to it, it isn't about you and it isn't even about your product or service. It's about the other person right. and how they are going to benefit, how their life will be made better, easier, richer, more fulfilling, what have you, from the use of your product. So is that what you mean when you say in the book that you can't make a sale? Is that what you're yeah, talking about? Well, exactly, because in a, in a free market-based economy, you can't make anybody do anything. So you, you literally can't make a sale. What you can do is you can create the environment where that person feels good about you. They know you. They like you. They trust you. They, they respect your judgment, and they choose to buy, and you are there to receive the sale. Sure. Uh, so, uh, you know, is that semantics? Not, not really, because when you think of it, well, actually, maybe it is semantics. Uh, but here's the thing. Semantics are important sometimes because, see, if, if you're out there to make the sale, then it's about you. Right. If you're out there to create an environment where that person chooses to buy based on their self-interest because they feel that your product or service is going to add to their life, well, then it's about them, mm. and that's exactly where it should be. Absolutely, and you're there to receive, and and for that, and which goes back to your law of receptivity. But I I tend to think it's greater than semantics because if you're there to create the environment that that makes it easy for them to say yes, um, I, that's more than a play on words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that takes a real skill and a real attitude uh, mm-hmm. that you take to that you take to each one of those meetings. Uh, one thing that you you talk about in the book, and it's kind of a favorite one of mine uh, term that you use is a MacGuffin. What is a MacGuffin? Let's let our listeners in on that. Well, a MacGuffin is a um, it, it's actually a movie term that was coined by the, the great uh, late British film director Albert Hitchcock and a MacGuffin can simply be defined as the object around which the story revolves. Uh, you know, example in uh, The Wizard of Oz, the classic Wizard of Oz, the, mm-hmm. the MacGuffin was Dorothy's quest to get back home to Kansas. Remember, everything revolved around that. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, in the movie Rocky, the MacGuffin was the 15-round heavyweight championship fight with Apollo Creed. But what happens is when you get to the end of the story, you often realize that that thing the story was about really wasn't what it was about. Uh, for example, in The Wizard of Oz, it, it wasn't about Dorothy's getting home. It was about four friends uh, finding, you know, discovering that the character traits they all thought they most lacked, they actually had the entire time. They just right. needed to step into them and embrace them. In Rocky, the, the MacGuffin was the fight with Creed, but that wasn't what the story was about. It was an internal battle. A guy who began by really thinking he was nothing and and came to understand that he had a lot of value to offer the world, especially the people he loved and who who loved him. So the the MacGuffin is not what the story's about, and your product or service is not what the sale is about. What the sale is about is how 
your prospect or customer is going to benefit from it. This is why we say it's that old story that you know mil- that every year millions and millions of quarter-inch drill bits are bought, and yet not one person buying one of those millions and millions of quarter-inch drill bits actually wants a quarter-inch drill bit. What they right. want is a quarter-inch hole. Right. The, you know, the drill bit simply the MacGuffin. Now, does it have to be good? Does it have to work? Does it have to – should it be guaranteed? Well, of course, all those things. That's very important. But the, the drill bit is not what the sale is about. It's about the quarter-inch hole that that person can then use for their own benefit. Another fascinating concept that you bring out in the book is the law of left field. Tell us about that. Well, this simply says that the – and the law of left field is not its own separate law. It's not a sixth law. It's actually a mini-law or sub-law within the the, um, the the fifth law of receptivity. And the law of left field simply says that the greatest gifts will come to you at moments and from places you least expect. Uh, but what does that mean? How does it work? Well, when when living our lives and conducting our business according to these principles, all sorts of value showers down upon us from that unnoticed, unseen place. For example, uh, you know, you find a um, uh, critical lead, you receive a great referral, or you make a crucial last-minute connection that results in a hugely profitable new client or golden opportunity drops suddenly into your lap or some incalculably valuable thing comes your way, but not from the people or places you may have expected or even hoped for. So you may have said to yourself, wow, you know, that one came right out of left field. Ah, okay. um, and so you know, the key is that when living with a giving spirit focused on, which again means focused on creating value for others, great value comes to you suddenly and unexpectedly, and it amounts far greater than you know what you what than what anyone owes you. Okay, it just yeah. happens because what you've done is you've created a benevolent uh, context for yeah. your success. Right. You actually have laid the groundwork for it. It didn't truly come out of left field. Exactly. Well, that's, like what, that's what the law of left field really says, that yeah. if you were to track it, if you were, you'd find that, yes, it's because your influence spread even mm-hmm. to places you don't know. Absolutely. So, you know, a final thought here. If you had to tell people that there was one thing to remember in order to be successful, you have five laws, uh, boil it down to one thing to remember to be successful. Uh, I think in this case, it, it you know, in the context of of this story, it's to to take your focus off yourself, <laughs> which doesn't mean again, which doesn't mean you don't care about yourself. You do. It doesn't mean you're not interested in yourself. You are. You just realize that the way you're going to achieve success is by doing your best to help other people be successful. Remember Zig Ziglar, the now the late but the great speaker, always said you can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful saying. In this case, we're simply saying make that your focus. Make adding value to the lives of others your main focus, and you're going to see abundance coming your way. But you do also have to be ready, willing, and able to receive it. Great advice. Where can we find your book, The Go-Giver? And you've got uh, other books out, that the the referral book. I'm sorry, the full name of that just slipped my mind. Yeah, but endless got referrals, but that's okay. They yeah. can go to Berg.com, which is B 
com. They can find everything there, including how to connect with me on social media. They can download Chapter 1 of The Go-Giver and Endless Referrals, and they can check out my blog with about 400 articles, videos, audios, and, and they can hang out for a while and, and have some fun. So just uh, Berg, B-U-R-G.com. Okay, Berg.com, B-U-R-G.com. Go there. It sounds like there, in addition to being able to order the book, there are a vast array of resources that you mm-hmm. can plug into to be uh, to take some of Bob's advice and, and be on your path to success. Bob, as always, it's a pleasure having you here today. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, my friend, I always enjoy being with you. Thanks for all the great work you're doing. You as well. Be sure to tune in next week as we have Barnett Helsberg, who is the uh, former chair of Helsberg Diamond, which was once the third largest jewelry retailer in the United States, as he talks about mentoring, including his mentoring relationship with his own mentor, Ewing Marion Kaufman. Have a great weekend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.